0: Hello everybody, you're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 515, World Cup Chaos. (laughs) Hello Big Chillians, and welcome back to The Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Yeah, things
1: are going pretty well. Been a good week. <laughs> You're just staring at me now. I know you were expecting more detail in in my response.
0: Or maybe just be a good friend and say, How was your week? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm so <laughs> Sorry, it doesn't revolve around Eddie. This isn't the, the Eddie podcast. Well when you
1: take on, you take on the like host you know, element at the beginning, then you've got to move the ball, you know, like that's your that's your responsibility to keep pushing the the boulder up the hill. Frank, how's your week been? <laughs> Please give me an an inspiring response now.
0: Oh, my weekend has been
1: No, no, not really your weekend. Phenomenal. I didn't ask your weekend.
0: Your week. Oh. My week has been quite lackluster, except for my 8 to 10 a.m.s and 12 to 2 p.m.s where I have been having almost all of my work screens <laughs> uh covered in the World Cup matches, it being the last matches of the group stage and they've been very exciting for the last few days. It's gone down to the wire in a few of the the matches it's almost gone to the fair play rule in a few of them. So it's, it's been quite interesting.
1: Yeah. The, the third set of fixtures threw up, you know, with in almost every group, there was something to play for in the final, something significant to play for in the final, you know, 10 or so minutes. So, you know that's really all you can ask for hopefully fifa learns from that because right now there's for the next world cup it's the proposed shift to three team groups and i think that would probably remove most of the excitement from the group stages so
0: yeah that would be such a bad especially after watching this tournament so far how exciting some of the last 15 20 minutes of the matches going on simultaneously have been it would i think it would be a big mistake to
1: switch it yeah it would turn it probably more into a little bit of a procession you'd have the occasional surprise group result but and you know if you're putting teams of three and two of them go through you would think most of the time that sort of top two expected top two teams in the group would would manage to find their way through so it would be a shame and they have said that that is there is a possibility that they sort of reconsider the format they are shifting to a larger World Cup in terms of the number of teams that will happen no matter what, but they may change the the numbers in the group, which hopefully they do.
0: Yeah, and I think since as of recording, they've we've just finished the end of the group stage. I think it'd be nice to go through kind of quickly each group and kind of say who's advancing. And, and if you think, you know, we can... Touch on the predictions you had and kind of what went wrong, maybe. And then we can then move forward to the bracket and kind of pick apart the bracket a little bit and where we think it could go. Yeah. So in Group A, you had Netherlands and Senegal advancing and Ecuador and Qatar not. I think that was pretty much predicted by both you and former... Former guest of the podcast, Oh, Well, he's still a <laughs> guest. He hasn't died.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, I love doing that. And that kind of went to plan, I would say. One of the few groups yep. where we we really got the order in. Not only, I would say, not not just the order, but the, the kind of the way the matches themselves went. Correct.
0: Yep. And I think Group B, pretty similar, too. Uh, both had England, USA and uh, you were on record as saying Wales is complete shit.
1: Dog shit, I said. Dog shit. I want the. Like, dog wanted to, shit. And, Sorry. And Wales are dog shit. Okay. The World Cup has proven this. Okay. And then in Group C, it went
0: Argentina and Poland advancing with Mexico and Saudi Arabia not. And that was one that really went down to the wire. Yeah. Um, and it was very, very exciting. Um, I was actually at lunch. And the place I was at lunch had the Mexico match on in the Spanish, on the Spanish network. And it was pretty intense. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't know what the hell they were saying, but they were really into
1: it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the first, that's the, this is the first group where I, in the, you know, World Cup preview where Ali and I disagreed. I had Argentina and Poland going through. He had Argentina and Mexico. So that went down to the wire, but in the end, uh, things are about to go off the rails for me in my predictions. But for through the first three groups, I nailed the order. Yeah, and this was the first group
0: where you start getting the announcers who really try and make the tiebreaker scenario seem way overcomplicated than it is, and you get the most anno- one of the most annoying comments that the commentators make of the, well, I don't have my degree in mathematics, so it's really not that easy for me to understand this, like oh, well, you don't need a degree in mathematics. You just need to know how to read because it's like five fucking rules and you go down the rule. Like, it's not that difficult. <laughs> and they, no. I, I think they make it sound crazier than it is. But I, I mean, I I wasn't completely sure. I went on, looked for 10 seconds and then the rest of the tournament, I knew what the rule was. Like,
1: <laughs> No, I don't think it's particularly complicated. And for anyone who follows football on a consistent basis, I mean, they're the same sort of, not tiebreakers but things you would use to separate teams in any ranking you know any table the premier league would use most of those ones in the exactly the same order in terms of goal difference goals scored uh you know like those are the you know, the usual separators it's true that when it got down to the possibility of fair play which obviously came into play in the last world cup as well that was one of the deciding factors yes. it for senegal right yeah it's. It seems a bit arbitrary.
0: This was, yeah. This was going to be my question to you: Is what is this? What you think it should get down to?
1: I don't love the fair play element, but then I. I can't think of a a good alternative. To me, the only.
0: What about a replay? No, you can't. There's no time. You, so. Yeah. What about just What about just penalties? They're not in the
1: same place. <laughs> I know, you know like <laughs> but, yes if the two teams
0: were you'd still have to bring them. if the two yeah. teams
1: were playing each other that day then yes that's an option but then you can't have it be not you know it has to either always be the the method or it's not um like honestly the only thing I kind of maybe like more than fair play is just a coin toss that's you know that's <laughs> like because everything else that is fair <laughs> yeah I mean everything else people people spoken about world rankings being the but that doesn't I don't really love the FIFA ranking system in the first place, but it also then seems unfair that you kind of weight it in favor of the bigger teams in that instance. So I really don't know what you could – some people have argued shots on target instead of fair play, but then you could just have this descend into some farce where – like a team knows in the final three or four minutes that the tiebreaker is going to be shots on target. And you'll just have teams shooting from everywhere to try and kind of boost a statistical ranking. Like that's, that to me doesn't seem any more logical. And I guess in some respects you could say playing the sort of spirit of the game and not breaking the laws of the game as much should be rewarded. You know, and it is so rare that it comes down to that fact I, I, but, yeah, I, I, tell, I don't – it's a good opportunity. People want to follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, suggest alternatives that they prefer. But I did think about it the other day, and I, I couldn't come up with something that I, that I really liked.
0: Yeah. I mean the other question I had for you is are you more of an offensive or defensive-minded person? Because right now the third tiebreaker in that set would be greatest number of goals scored. And I think there might be some people out there that might say, "Well, what about least goals
1: conceded?" <laughs> um, no, I think you have to reward more attacking play. You know, I think there is a difference. If you, it's sort of arbitrary, right? I mean, is it better to draw five all, five all, or nil nil? Like I'm, I mean, I guess you've you've definitely provided more entertainment, so. It encourages the...
0: So you get rewarded. Are you not entertained? you get rewarded for your Russell Cronus?
1: A little bit. I mean, you're, you're putting a rule in place that encourages teams to play in the way you'd probably want them to. You know, again, do you want teams going into the final match where they think to themselves, well, we really don't want to concede. Like, this was always the issue with the away goals rule, is that it did, at times, remove an incentive to attack because the danger of conceding was great, sort of the risk of the punishment for conceding was greater than the reward for scoring. And so I think as long as you have the goals scored being more heavily weighted as a tiebreaker, you at least incentivize teams to go on the front foot. And I guess the other thing you'd say is, in a way, you, it does also put teams in a position late in games to change their fate because if it's goals conceded, what can you really do? Like it's now entirely in the other team's hands. You know, if you're not playing them and it's like, well, our two matches are going on simultaneously. We're currently going out because this team has conceded fewer goals, but you can't do anything. You can't be. You can change nothing in your game. You just have to hope that they start conceding goals. I mean, I guess you can you can shift your own goal difference, but if you see what I mean, like it's it kind of removes any ability to control your own destiny in that in that regards. Whereas, if you are rewarding more goals scored, you put teams in a position where they think, okay, there's ten minutes left, we have to score goals.
0: Yeah, and then I think from there, this is where a lot of people's brackets start to collapse. Um, and that's Group D, where you have France, who I think most people would have put top. But then you had Australia sneaking in, who, Eddie, I don't think you said dog shit, but I think you did say that pretty, they looked pretty spectacularly bad. I, wouldn't, I, didn't say, I was pretty
1: dismissive, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I had watched them in several qualifiers. They had had to come through the playoffs to get there. I had not been impressed by them. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not sure I've been tr- particularly impressed with them so far in this World Cup, but they have managed to get there, which is all that matters. Uh, and it's impressive. I mean, given the this, this sort of squad of players that they have, um, I think they're one of the, there's only a handful of teams that came into this tournament with no players starting for them who play in the sort of the big five leagues. Australia had 0% of their players playing in the big five. And so for them to the big five being, you know, the, the major European leagues. So for them to have taken a squad that is not comprised of, you know, high level players from a professional standpoint and get to the knockout stages of the world cup, it's, it's a real achievement.
0: Yeah. And then I, I guess, I don't remember if you had, I think you had Denmark and that was a pretty disappointing result for Denmark. Uh, one, one point, not not their best effort
1: yeah yeah i i expected denmark to go through i wasn't sort of in love with denmark coming into this tournament but you know they you know they've got a a strong squad you know it was one of those where when france beat them i thought that was a good result for france like i i gave more significance to france's performance based on the fact that it was denmark and so for them to go out it's surprising for sure
0: so then we get to Group E, and this is, I think, where I would be very surprised if anyone predicted the correct order of this, and that would be Japan winning the group with Spain coming in second and Germany falling just short. And this was another match that, or another group that went back and forth uh, for that last uh, those last matches, and that was just crazy. There, uh, I forget who had it. Uh, someone on Instagram had like the different timestamps. stamps through and like how much it was changing of who was first and who was second and who was third. And it was just it's, it was crazy to see how much shift there was in that order with one point, you know, Germany and Spain. And then and then at one point, Germany or Spain both not making it, which would have been absolutely crazy. Um, but in the end, Spain gets through um, probably the better looking team over Japan, I still think. Um, but, you know, Japan did win the group.
1: Yeah, Spain, you know, Spain controlled that match. It's And I think had they needed to win against Japan, they probably would have. You know, there was the brief moment when Costa Rica took the lead against Germany where they had a, a handful of minutes where it looked as if they were going to at risk, serious risk of going out. Germany equalized fairly quickly. And so I think just, you know, they created a lot of chances and they dominated possession. And I think had they really, really needed to sort of step up a gear, they probably could have. Certainly to get a draw. Um, the concern for Spain, you know, is their lack of goals. And their 7-0 win over Costa Rica kind of covered up for the that. And there were a lot of people who were trying to, you know, coming into the tournament, a lot of people said the issue for Spain is a lack of a true goal scorer. Then they won 7-0, and there were a lot of people very quickly... Try saying, hey, all of you guys, everyone's idiots. You said Spain wouldn't be able to score goals. Look, they've scored seven in the opening match. But I think against Germany, they missed a number of chances. They missed chances yep. again against Japan. And that's a cons- Yeah, two in their next two. So a much bigger drop-off. Yeah, and it's more just they get themselves into positions where they you can just see they're lacking a goal scorer to kind of be taking up the right positions in the box, to be on the end of chances. Uh, Ferran Torres had a number of good chances against Germany, didn't take them. I don't think he's, you know, an out-and-out goal scorer. is probably the closest thing they have to that. And they, obviously, he started against Japan and scored. They might have to start him in the knockout stages because otherwise, you know, they just, they get kind of trapped in that situation that City have been in in recent seasons sometimes that they solved by getting Holland, which is you have all these really, really talented attacking players, but none of them are, genuine goal scorers and so it looks great you dominate possession you kind of create some chances but you need people who just really are there to put the ball in the back of the net Spain don't have that at the moment and that could be their undoing but they're also good enough where they will create enough chances and dominate possession enough that they might be able to overcome that weakness
0: yeah and I guess speaking of not being able to finish opportunities. Group F saw the number two ranked team, according to FIFA, Belgium, not make it past the group stage due to a very lackluster effort in uh, scoring overall in the tournament, but especially in that last match where they needed a win. Uh, And instead, you have Morocco, who I don't think anyone probably predicted to win the group and Croatia second.
1: Uh, what, What do you think about that? Yeah, another really, really surprising outcome. Uh, I think maybe I'm sure there are people out there who maybe had Morocco sneaking through, but the the complete order of that group is seems yeah super unpredictable. Also, there's got to be you know so in that second half you mentioned against Croatia, uh, you know Romelu Lukaku by himself had an expected goal outcome of 1.98, so they kind of <laughs> oh my God. so based on the individual chances he had, basically you know XG kind of calculates in that position. What, you know, what percentage of the time would a goal be scored. So basically with the chances he had, he should normally have scored two goals in that second half alone. Morocco over the course of the entire group stages only had an XG of 1.35. So Romelu Lukaku should have scored more goals in the second half than Morocco <laughs> scored in that entire group stages and Mor- Morocco won the group. So that's crazy. I'm not always a total believer in XG. At the same time, you know i i do think belgium were maybe a little bit unlucky you know they didn't get to kind of get the break of the ball a bit against croatia and then also morocco have definitely you know benefited from some luck themselves i think we'll get to that eventually but i think their r- luck will run out in the in the next round
0: yeah and it's you know it it's one of those things where it is a shame that belgium are out because like I said they are one of the top ranked teams but at the end of the day if that's how they're going to play then what's the point of having them in there you know because they for the majority of the tournament they didn't look that great I mean against Canada they didn't look spectacular against Morocco they lost and they created chances but not many and then in that last match I mean yeah Lukaku had a bunch of chances in that second half but the first half they had to win a match and they came out flat right yeah. uh, that's and you'd expect more. And and what was I think for me was disappointing, I want to ask your opinion on that. When I watch City and De is out there, he just seems to always be on the ball. You know, like it and then when I watched Belgium these matches, there were gaps of time where I didn't even know he was on the pitch. Like it it's crazy to me that you don't run it through him more on the national team than they did. It was I, I was very surprised with how little of an impact he made.
1: Yeah, no, I and, and that's been criticized a little bit in on b- British television. The commentators have noted that exact same that you thing that you've just pointed out is just how much less he's involved, and in, and everything at City runs through him. He's a sort of, you know, kind of put in. He's like a quarterback for City in a sense and basically every attack Kevin De Bruyne is on the ball at some moment in time and yeah against Brazil against with Belgium they just he just doesn't play in the same role and for you know arguably the best midfielder in the world it seems silly to not have him be more heavily involved so i think that's probably frustrating for him i think that's a failure on the part of martinez the, their coach who i think is probably out of a job and uh, although he said they'd done themselves proud, that was his, I don't know exactly what he thought the expectations for Belgium were coming into this World Cup, but I don't think there's many Belgian supporters who would have said they did themselves proud in the tournament. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, and it's a shame, right? Because you know, Belgium, obviously a very small country, this is their golden generation. This is pretty much the end of the window for that golden generation, and they won't have a lot to show for it and to have produced a number of world-class players, you know, and, and I think at several points over the last few years, have had probably the best starting eleven in international football, and all they can really say is that they made a World Cup semifinal once. That's, uh, that's disappointing for them. Yeah. And then we move
0: on to Group G, where you have uh, Brazil topping it with Switzerland. And out of this is Serbia who I think both you and Ollie both predicted to go through. Uh but this went exactly the way it went in 2018 when it was Brazil, Switzerland and Serbia and Switzerland beat Serbia to be the second one in that group and pretty much played to form.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I did think Serbia would go through. And and the reason I think both Ollie and I thought they would was because of their goal scoring ability and I guess the thing we didn't see coming, certainly in this final match, was that S- Switzerland would suddenly find a way to score goals, which is very un Swiss. You know, they typically either lose or win games 1 0. And uh, they found some attacking flair today against Serbia, which they needed. And uh, so it's not a total shock, uh, but, but definitely disappointing for this Serbian team, given the, the talent that they do have. And again, as, as for these smaller European nations, you aren't going to have that many major tournaments where you do have, you know, several very very good players. You do have to try and take advantage of it, and and Serbia haven't this time around.
0: And then lastly, you have Group H, where Portugal topped that group, followed by South Korea. And I think this is a, another one where you both had Uruguay, if I'm remembering correctly, right?
1: Uh, yeah, we both put Uruguay through. I kind of hesitated there. I was tempted to put South Korea, so I don't I'm not shocked that South Korea made it through. Um, in 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 exciting fashion again, I mean, this
0: was watching that match and watching them score late and then them just constantly panning to the fans. Who had one of the most panicked looks I've ever seen of a fan base. Uh, I've never seen people look at the clock more. Uh, that was it. Was an exciting finish.
1: Yeah, they were obviously they were in a situation where if Uruguay had got another gold and they would have gone through. So there was you know all to play for up until the very last. Like if South Korea had conceded or Uruguay had scored, then everything would have changed in that group. And um, you know, I th- I'm happy. I I don't. You know, I think Uruguay are such a dirty team, and play the wrong type of football. And and again, given how much attacking talent they have, that's what I don't like about it. It's it's like Atletico Madrid when I'm critical of them. You know, you you're you're like a a bigger team, more creative, talented team playing as if you were, you know one of the very sort of lo- lowest ranked teams in the competition. And just the manner in which they play, the way they behave on the pitch, it's just awful. So so I'm very
0: happy. To- I, I guess, I mean, now that you mentioned that, there was a questionable, I guess, no foul in the penalty box for against Uruguay in like the 95th minute or so, somewhere around there um, that was not called. And... Uruguay we were very unhappy about that to the point that they pretty much half assaulted the ref and followed him into the, to the corridor. What, what do you feel about that? First, was it a foul in your eyes and two what, what do you think of that type of behavior?
1: No, I don't think it was a penalty. Um, and and yeah, obviously I don't, I don't like that behavior. I think football overall doesn't do a good job of clamping down on the treatment of referees and officials and, it's less significant at this level it's just the influence and impact that that can have on the you know the amateur version of the game on how kids play on how if you play sunday league football or whatever you know how people play because they see it being done on television i personally i think you know of all the things yeah it's great we're doing a better job of you know accounting for additional time to make up for time wasting how about every time you swear at a referee you get booked How about only a captain can really talk to the referee, like introduced in a sense, some of the rules that you get from rugby, for example, I think that would solve so many problems in terms of, and it wouldn't take long for players to adapt, you know, a couple of bookings and they'd stop because, you know, they, the only reason they behave in that manner is because you let them get away with it. Um, and you know, that's. You know, and it just feels like sometimes we're enforcing the wrong, you know, so you get the end of the and you get you get Uruguayans crowding around the referee and trying to influence him at every moment of the game. And then you get at the end of the Brazil Cameroon match today, a player being sent off because he's getting a second booking for taking his shirt off. Now, he knows that rule and it's right to give him the second yellow. But which one of those are you really trying to eliminate from the game? Players taking their shirts off in celebrations, or people swearing. Oh, I'm not trying to eliminate that in any way. <laughs> or people swearing at the referee <laughs> and trying to intimidate and, and influence officials. You know, like that's it's moments like that where you just feel as if, you know, we're we're focusing on the wrong parts of the game. Yeah.
0: And, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't understand why you even at this point are attacking the ref or making a bad call because there's VAR. There's other people that can also influence this play. So it's not, at this point, it's not just him making a bad call. There are other people who are also having a look at this.
1: So I guess there's two things. (laughs) One, maybe you think, look, if we really look upset, maybe VAR takes a closer look. Maybe they look, you know, but this is after the match, right? Yeah, but this was after. (laughs) You know, who knows? I mean, they're just upset at that point. But I, I think in general, or you think next time around, you know, obviously at the end of a match it matters less. But next time, the next time I go down in the box, the referee might think twice. Uh, you know, I'm sure officials would say that they don't, ever, you know, that they can't be influenced by the behavior of players or whatever. But you know, I'm sure, I'm sure they are. So, you know, I, I don't like it, and I do think it's one of those things that needs to be taken out of the game but it just won't be we've just we've turned you know there's we've got a sport where the referees like to be the friends of players they're on first name basis with you know on a first name basis with players and just like it's i think any swearing at the referee it should be an automatic yellow card and it would be easy it would stop the swearing would stop in a couple of weeks but it's never going to happen and i guess then my final note just on those group stages uh you know to mention some of those xg statistics and as i said i don't i'm not always the biggest believer in xg but the the team that created the most chances in the group stages who okay, can i guess go for it brazil no oh i'll t- i'll tell you Uh, I'll give you three statistics. They're all the same team. So this team not only created the most chances, they had the biggest difference in their XG. So biggest net difference between the chances they created and the chances their opponents created. And they also won every one of their matches based on XG. I don't want to
0: say England, (laughs) but I'll say them.
1: No, it's Germany. Wow. So again, that's where that's the where you see the difference between expected goals and real goals, because obviously Germany statistically, I guess in that respect, the best team in the tournament so far and yet out of the group stages.
0: Yeah. And then the the stat that I had, Eddie, for you is out of the 16 teams that are now going into the knockout stage. Of their coaches, how many are of the nationality for the country they're coaching?
1: Oh, okay. Can I cheat and just bring the teams up to just remind myself? Try and go bring through. Bring the it. teams
0: up, yes, but not the <laughs> team with the coaches' names. <laughs> no. yeah, this is going
1: to be super easy. Um, okay, so we'll go to, if I go, so if the team's going through. So the Netherlands have a Dutch coach, Uh, Senegal have a Senegalese coach, England have an English coach, the US have an American coach, Uh, Argentina have an Argentinian coach, Poland, oh boy. I'll say he's Polish, but I'm not certain. France have a French coach. Is this going to be every team has a coach of their nationality? Is this where I'm going to get to? No. No? Uh, Am I wrong on any of them so far?
0: Uh, You are correct so far.
1: Uh, France definitely have a French one. Australia, I, I think he's Australian. Japan, oh, I can't picture who the Japanese coach is. I'll say Japan don't. They do. Okay. Spain have a Spanish coach for sure. Morocco, oh man, I can't picture, it's not, It's going to be one team that don't, right? Is this what I'm going to get down to? And I just got to identify who the one team, uh, I'll say the one team that does not is Switzerland.
0: It is 15 out of 16 teams, and I kind of wanted you to do this because the team that doesn't Is South Korea the last one you would have gotten to? (laughs) So Paulo Bento is their coach. Okay. And this is in Star Conch. So for comparison, in 2018, only 11 of the 16 coaches were of the nationality of the country they were managing.
1: Yeah, that's pretty impressive. It would also be interesting to see how many of them are former players because I think that would – wouldn't be all of them, but this again, the statistic would be pretty high on the number of them who had also represented their country uh, previously, because quite a number of them are former professional players. So that's a good statistic to know.
0: All right, so let's go to the knockout stage, and I guess let's start with the U.S. versus Netherlands, and you know, people had been asking me what I thought of this matchup the U.S. has. Do they have a chance? And I have to say in terms of some of the teams they could have gotten that won their group, the Netherlands seems like a pretty fair draw. I I do honestly think it's a beatable. The U.S. has the capability of beating Netherlands as opposed to had you put them up against, you know, France, Brazil? I, I would still say England if they actually played well. You know, I don't give them much of a chance, but Besides maybe, you know, Japan and Morocco, this is a pretty optimal outcome and had things. You know, what's what's crazy to think is if, you know, when this first happened, I thought this is going to be the worst team that wins their group. And it actually ends up not being that case. But I still think overall that it's it's a doable game. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think it will be very close.
1: Yeah, I mean, so from a betting perspective, if you kind of want to look at it for in that regards, uh, this is the joint second closest in terms of odds, like the in terms of the difference between the favorite and the second. So the Netherlands are four to nine to qualify and the U.S. are seven to four. So certainly from a betting perspective, the bookies are not ruling out the U.S. US chances. Of course, that's also a reflection of how money is being bet, right? And the U S across the world has been quite a popularly heavily bet team. So it's not always an indication, right? Of actual statistical probabilities of an outcome, but still it is still a a slight indicator. Um, yeah, I think the U S have a chance. I think if they repeat the performance that they had against England, they'll cause the Netherlands problems. I don't think the Netherlands have been particularly impressive in their group stages, They struggled to create chances. They struggled to score goals. They had flat periods in most of their matches. So I think the U.S., I think in a sense, the game plan that they had against England will be able to be perfectly applied against this Dutch team in terms of sort of high press, high intensity, try and just put them, you know, close them down in their own half, put them under pressure, and rely maybe on a slight sort of physical advantage um i don't think they're going to create a lot against the against the dutch but yeah if they can take i'm not expecting a huge number of goals in this match so if they can take a chance i mean this goes for every knockout stage right and we've seen the importance of taking your chances in the group stages as well there's usually not that many goals so yeah i i I think the netherlands will go through i think they're a little you know they, they clearly have the better team they have a lot more experience and that could prove important but yeah the u.s has a chance
0: and i think cody Gakpo on netherlands is the only player to score in each match so
1: far in this world cup yeah he's the joint top goal scorer coming out of the group stages with three goals he got each one of those goals in a different match uh, he's certainly increasing his valuation he's a highly sought after player in european football so you know he's definitely done his reputation no harm but, you know, this doesn't look like a Dutch team that is going to score a ton of goals. Um, Memphis is obviously fine, again, kind of returning to fitness over the course of the yeah. the group stages. So I'm sure he'll start this match. The group stages will have helped him to maybe get back. Well, he <laughs> Yeah. Help him get into a bit of, you know, better match fitness. He's definitely a, a match, potential match winner. And I think the Netherlands desperately need him to add some attacking threat, but yeah, and like, and I guess there's some questions over Pulisic and his...
0: He is clear to return now. Okay. So he looks like he's going to play. Which in, in, I love how he came out and said yeah. he didn't get hit in the balls. <laughs> he, that's literally his quote. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I think this, Yeah, it should be a good match. Um, it's a good test for both sides. But yeah, I think the Dutch will go through yeah uh
0: and then the winner of that will face Argentina versus Australia,
1: and are you changing your opinion on the team down under? No, I think Argentina must be delighted with how this worked out for them. This is just this is like an extended group stages for them almost I think this it's difficult to imagine how Australia will be able to live with Argentina uh, and and yeah, I expect to argentina to qualify fairly easily from this even if they were similar to you know france against australia in their opening match even if they were to fall behind i think they'll just be confident that they can score two or three goals against this australian team so no i don't think they'll cause them too many problems
0: and then we move on to probably one of the least exciting uh matchups in japan versus croatia So Japan, the group stage winner, um, are they favored? Oh, you're doing this in
1: in draw order, not order in which the matches will be played.
0: No, in in draw. I'm doing this in brackets. The brackets? Okay. Sorry.
1: No, no. It's um, Yeah, I mean, Japan versus Croatia is probably the least exciting on paper. I think the Croatians will probably be slightly upset with that fact, given that they made it to the World Cup final. Uh, four years ago uh but yeah i just it's hard to get too excited about a kind of aging croatian team and you know a japanese team that did extremely well to make it out of the group stages but don't possess any real star power this is the tightest uh fixture from a betting and croatia perspective. is favored yeah which is to be expected so croatia are four to seven yep. favorites to qualify japan are 11 to eight um Yeah, I'd have to give the nod to Croatia with their talent and their experience.
0: Okay. So going against the Japanese team who won two out of their three group stages. Yeah. Matches. Yeah, yeah. Although arguably I think the one they won, their last one, was a win on paper, but not not much else than the statistics were in their favor.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it it's it was definitely one of those instances where they played they played Spain at the right time in that group. Having that as the third match where Spain had less to play for, probably they don't win that if that's the opening game of their group. You you know, so that's that definitely helped them a bit. And
0: then we go to Brazil versus South Korea, and this is unfortunately not the Sun versus Neymar battle. That would have been very nice to see, uh, you know, two really nice scores kind of going head to head. But will that favor Korea in this matchup? Not having Neymar there,
1: it helps. Will the Sun rise on the Medi. Yeah, it it helps. I mean, uh, but this, but I. I don't know. I mean, Brazil obviously lost today against Cameroon. They created a huge number of chances. It was kind of the Brazil B team anyway. Um, No, I can't see much hope for South Korea in this one. I just think – I haven't been blown away by Brazil so far in this tournament. They haven't looked outstanding for the tournament favorites. uh, But they do create chances, and I think they'll score goals.
0: So, I mean, we talked a lot about Spain – creating great opportunities, but not having the ability to to finish those opportunities with Neymar out. Do you have as much of a worry for Brazil to not have the players to be able to finish?
1: Uh, no, cause they still have goal scorers in their team. You know, you still got Gabriel Jesus who's yet to score a goal in a world cup, let alone in this one, but still you have Gabriel Jesus, Richarlison obviously scored two goals, um and including one spectacular one against uh, serbia uh, i i think there's still goals in their side it's just the lack of that as a, from a leadership perspective from as a team you know we spoke about it before just knowing that you have one of the best players in the world playing alongside you i think you, that hurts you in terms of that confidence there's also just that sense of inevitability sometimes that star players bring it might not be right But, you know, certainly late in games, you just get that feeling of, well, he'll pop up with a goal like this is just the sort of moment in which Neymar would score. And even if they're not necessarily more likely to do that than any of the other attacking players in the Brazilian team, you do just you you miss out on that. And that can maybe either change your own confidence as a team or maybe increase the confidence of your opponents as games get later and tighter and, and nervier. So when I just want to
0: bring this up, because when we discussed the group stages, I think both you and Ali said for. For most of it, it usually plays to form. And as we saw, it did not play to form. And right now you're once again playing to form. We'll get to the other side of the bracket, but maybe are you going to pick any upsets at all? And if you're not, what's a match? Maybe what's wait and uh, we'll wait and and say you know what's a match you think might, but let's go to the other side now and we'll do bottoms up so we can discuss the last match in a little more detail. Portugal versus Swiss- Switzerland.
1: So I guess this if I this would be up there on the list of one of the ones where it's more likely to see a little bit of an upset. Uh, but you know Portugal haven't have looked good in this tournament, but they you know have looked beatable at the same time. Um, you know, they kind of fall into that debate. Unlike with the Neymar situation, it's sort of like, does Ronaldo hurt them or help them? You know, whether the kind of very central role that he's playing for this Portuguese team, they might be slightly more dangerous with without him on the pitch at all times. But I mean, it's just, it feels like, you know, we see Switzerland at this stage of pretty much every major competition we kind of know how it goes, which is they'll be difficult to beat and they'll set their stall out, stalls out to defend and eventually they get broken down and they usually just don't have enough goals in them. Obviously, their match against Serbia today maybe proves otherwise, but I think Portugal will go through.
0: All right, and then after that, we have Spain-Morocco. I think that should be a pretty short conversation.
1: Yeah, I think, again, similar to the Argentina situation, Spain must be delighted, I mean, to have not won their group. In the end, they've ended up with the, the easier draw, at least in the first round. So they'll sort of feel as if that was a desirable outcome in some respects. And, yeah, they should just have too much quality for Morocco. And then France-Poland. Similar. I mean, France had a super unimpressive performance against Tunisia, but it was their B team, but it, I think it did show, you know, some teams at different moments in time have shown some strength in depth, uh, and depth. And when they have rotated players, you know, even Brazil today with their changes, they still looked threatening. There still seemed to be some cohesion between their, I you mean, know, sort of between their players it still created chances. You did get that feeling that they would have that ability to, if one of their attacking players went out or if they needed to make, you know, a number of changes for a match that they have the ability to do that and still maintain some form. I'd be concerned as a French supporter that that was, it's clear, it's like, it's our first 11 or we're in trouble. Like our star players have to be on the pitch. Mbappe has to be playing. Like I'd go as so far as to say an Mbappe, Mbappe injury or suspension, France are not contenders to win the World Cup. Like They are that reliant on him in terms of what he creates, the problems he causes for the, their opposition, and just how much of their play runs through him, and you just saw a serious drop off in quality from their, you know, best eleven to their sort of second best eleven. Even we'll get on to England afterwards, but you know, England have shown over the course of those group stages that they can rotate fairly heavily in a lot in a number of different positions, and if anything, it's difficult to choose what the best options are. Like their headache. You know, Gareth Southgate's problems are positives, I suppose, in that it's like, which one of these players do I pick more than I absolutely need these players not to get injured or suspended? Um, but yeah, I think, I you know, Poland are don't create a lot. And this France team, with their full-strength team back in action, uh, will, will win, I think. There is some discussion, some debate going on about the possibility of Benzema returning to the World Cup because he they never sent a replacement, so he technically is still in the squad. So if he deemed himself fit, he could reappear at any moment in time if he felt right to do so. Uh, you see it discussed on the internet at different moments in time. It's absolutely not a possibility. I mean, when you hear Benzema speak about it, Real Madrid, he's not even returned to sort of training to even start the rehab process. So there's no possibility of him being fit again at any point in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, it does mean for France, they are a very, very good team when they have their key players on the pitch. But if something were to happen to any of those key players, they've got some real issues.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think your, your XG stats would, uh, Agree with you there. So in the first two matches, France was 4.59 and 2.95. And then in that last match, they were an abysmal 0.65. So a huge drop-off uh, in, in what they were creating, Yeah, potentially.
1: And also, you know, I mean, they, they were deserved winners against Denmark, and I thought that was a good performance. But Denmark still created chances against them. So, you know, all of the good teams coming into these knockout stages will have looked at that and thought okay, France will, you're probably not going to win 1-0 against France. You're going to have to score multiple goals. They probably will score against you, but you can create chances against them. And, uh, and, you know, I think that's why they, they have to have all of those key players on the pitch all the time, which I think then puts France into that category, given the heat and the conditions in which this tournament is being played, they have to avoid extra time now this is a nice matchup for them probably to do so but you know the the sort of cumulative effect of these matches in fairly close proximity to each other and the possible impact of extra time and penalties to a certain degree from a mental fatigue standpoint they need to try and put matches to bed as early as possible and be able to rest players because they need all they will need all of them for the remainder of this tournament.
0: And that brings us to the final match of the round of 16, England-Senegal.
1: Yeah, so this is one where I could theoretically see an upset. Um, I'm not, I'm definitely not going to say that I think there's... Like, I would be amazed if Poland beat France. I'd be amazed if Australia beat Argentina. I wouldn't be amazed if England lost to Senegal. But, you know, they are... They're better in, in every area of the pitch over the course of the group stages as a whole, I think you can take a lot of performances from, a lot of positives from England's performances. In that second half against Wales, they controlled that match so well. Um, You know, the, the interesting thing to see is going to be who starts. There's obviously a lot of debate in terms of the wide positions. Who plays? What role Jude Bellingham maybe plays in? I thought he was pretty impressive against Wales in the more advanced attacking midfielder role replacing Mason Mount I thought he did a very good job in giving him that freedom and permission to kind of roam over all over the pitch and get more involved in play I think he did a great job of that in terms of helping to create chances and maybe even taking a little bit of the emphasis off of Kane to kind of play that connecting role that he often does so I'll be interested to see if they drop him back into sort of a true central midfield position or use him there. And then also who starts out wide because, you know, you had two very impressive performances from Saka and Sterling in the opening match, less impressive against the USA. Then you had Rashard and Foden, very impressive against Wales. Hadn't done too much up until that point, although hadn't been given a massive chance until then. Ideally, I would like to see Foden and Saka start. I think Rashford is more of a sort of impact substitute. I was speaking to former co-host Sam about this actually not that long ago. I think in the kind of way Eddie Jones, the England rugby coach refers to players as being like closers, he tries to put, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to substitutes to feel like they're sort of bit part players in your squad. I think Rashford is more of a, a kind of a closer for this England team, a player who as a game gets stretched towards the end, his pace and ability to, you know, to run at teams or to run in behind teams is super valuable, but over the course of 90 minutes, he maybe doesn't consistently impact a match. I also think Saka does more defensively. I think that means that Gareth Southgate's likely to pick him because I think he'll also have one eye on France and the problems that Kylian Mbappe does pose. So he'll be thinking about his wide players and the defensive roles they'll then have to take to kind of drop back and help Defensively, I think you'll like the idea of maybe a Saka on the right with one eye on Saka playing that same role and helping out with killing Mbappe if they progress, like if everything goes to form. It also means I think they'll Kyle Walker is returning from fitness. I doubt Kyle Walker will play in this match because I'll then want to save Kyle Walker for Mbappe because he's probably one of the few fullbacks on earth who can live with Mbappe. So I think you'll see Trippier back playing. Isn't Bappe a bad roommate? <laughs> well, possibly, <laughs> but but yeah, I think you'll the see. Pitch. <laughs> I think you'll see Trippier back in the in the starting lineup, and then Kyle Walker probably maybe coming on as a substitute to get just a few more minutes under his belt. And then, if England win, and if France win, I would then expect to see Kyle Walker starting against France to just have one just for, I think his role then will just be follow killing Mbappe everywhere. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I mean, it's,
0: it's, it's a little tough, right? You say Rashford's the closer, but Rashford also, uh, we mentioned Gapko, uh co-leading right now, the world cup with three goals. He's co-leading with Rashford as one of the others. So you have someone who's, who's the amount of minutes he's been on the pitch Is probably got the you know the most goals out of per minute out of everyone that's leading that group in in uh, him, Murata and and Gavka, so yeah, and
1: and Mbappe, yeah, will all have three. Um, And look, his free kick against Wales was excellent. I think you could maybe be slightly critical of the goalkeeper. I think maybe some goalkeepers save it, but still a very nice free kick. I Think his. Second goal against Wales was a little bit more fortuitous. You know, (laughs) on another day, that doesn't find its way into the back of the net, but he was good against Wales. But, and look.
0: You know what, Eddie? Goal scorers, they find a way.
1: They do. And And ultimately. Part of
0: being a goal scorer is you have that luck somehow. You have that, like, you know, whether it is luck or it's not luck, you just find a way to, to
1: get goals in the net. No, you sure. But I mean, I guess you'd say. England's problems so far this World Cup do not include having goals scored from players in wide positions. You know, Foden has a goal, Saka has two goals, Sterling has a goal, Grealish has a goal, Rashford has three goals. You know, the the greater concern would be Kane you know, with no goals. People are being very critical of him. I mean, he has three assists. I think Kane has been excellent in this, and like the to me. He was a little bit flat against the USA versus he was very good against Wales and very good against Iran. And I think that's you know one of the key differences in terms of the quality of those performances. Anyone, I think you can tell someone's footballing intelligence, any England fan who says, you know, like we should be dropping Kane is a footballing moron. You know, I think that's an automatic red flag in terms of you don't know what you're talking about when it comes to football. But uh, no, I, I think- Yeah, if you're listening- Get the fuck off because we don't want you on this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, lots of people say it, right? It's just one of those popular things, including, you know, as we said, Ollie is not a huge fan of Harry Kane. But um, you know, he's he does things that very few players in the world can do. Uh, and, you know, you take, for example, his ball across the goal for Foden's going as Wales. Like, there's not that many players in the world who play the ball, that ball. It looks very easy when you see someone do it because it's just, you know, oh, you just hit the ball across Across the face of the goal, but you know that's an extremely difficult skill. It's a lot of awareness in terms of what's going on. I mean, it was
0: perfect. Anyone but but Lukaku could have put that in.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah, Lukaku <laughs> probably would have tripped over it and then hit his head on the post. But um, <laughs> well, yeah, know. eat it. But those are the those are the areas of debate, you know, for England. Uh, and I think it'll be interesting to see what Southgate does. It really will, uh, and and how what attacking intent he wants to show with this England team and again the problem is we know from Gareth Southgate and I think England fans had to prepare themselves for it but there's a good chance That's he loyal. shows there's a good <laughs> chance he shows less attacking intent against Senegal than he maybe should do because he wants the England team to play in the same way that they're going to play against France and they won't show a lot of attacking intent against France so You know, this could be a frustrating 90 or 120 minutes for England supporters, hopefully not so frustrating that it ends in disaster. But, uh, you know, I'm still, there's no reason, you get to this stage of the tournament, we've discussed it, when the Euros were going on, people start to, you know, I'm having to listen to England fans say, oh, people are underrating Senegal, you know, this isn't as easy as a match as people think. You know, we should be worried about them, all those sorts of things. Of course, once you get to the knockout stages of a World Cup, every team could beat you if they get either the rub of the green or you don't play well enough or they have the matches of their lives. Of course, Senegal could beat England. There's no denying that. But like, if you can't beat Senegal in the knockout stages of the World Cup, then we're not talking about an England team that we should be expecting to win a World Cup. It's that simple for me. So the expectations should be we beat Senegal. That those expectations change yep. change I mean, slightly
0: Mane as well, right? I mean, that's yes. A, I know one person doesn't make a team, but that that is a big loss.
1: <laughs> it's a huge loss. He's one of the best players in the world. You know, he's so yeah. It's the same. It's it's kind of like that Neymar discussion. You remove a slight bit of confidence from the Senegalese team because otherwise it would have gone into they might have gone into this match otherwise, saying they had the best player on the pitch. Yeah, they can't say it might that. not be wrong. Yeah. And they can't, they can't say that now. So, you know, that's a huge difference. And in terms of the trouble he would have caused for, for the, for the English defenders. um, And again, they could surprise England. They could win this match. I'm not saying uh, absolutely no way do England lose this, but I mean, if, if England lose this, it's going to be hugely disappointing. Yeah.
0: So, you know, while there was a lot of world cup chaos in the group stage you're uh, pretty much playing it to form here. No, no chaos in the, in the knockout stage so far. I mean, I think I agree with most of the picks. I think maybe the chaos comes from the US. I mean, that's a match that is winnable, I think. And, you know, like you said, I think the Switzerland match is another match that, that could be winnable.
1: Yeah, if I had to highlight, I would say potentially Portugal, Switzerland, potentially England, Senegal potentially Netherlands USA and potentially Japan Croatia just because I don't think Croatia are that good but yeah I do think you're talking about you know the I guess the benefit in some respects for some of these bigger teams now at this stage of the unpredictable group stages is that they are now up against in some instances less talented and certainly less experienced international sides and that should play to their you know that should benefit them right so um you know who knows surprises can and will happen but now here's my question eddie do you want to continue
0: on and give me your full bracket (sighs) do you want to risk this or do you want to wait until this round of 16 is complete and we reevaluate next round
1: well in the interest of time i guess i won't go through it again i guess it's worth saying right i had belgium making the semifinals, so that's obviously not going to happen um apart from that most of the teams i expected to be featuring in like the quarterfinals and the semis are still in and i don't see too much reason to change my predictions i had brazil playing england in the final that is still very much a possibility i mean the test for me there will be um in you know a week's time with england france probably uh, and then potentially england spain if yes. they
0: survive france
1: yeah the discussion is now if england going into the tournament it felt like they were definitely going to be on the weaker side of the draw if they won their group you could maybe say they've ended up on the more difficult side of the draw because of spain not winning um so you know that's the that's the difference but Still, you know, you're only looking at, uh, I don't know. I I think, and I, so I I think I'll stick with at the moment in England, England thinking more with my heart, certainly with England. uh, I'll stick with an England Brazil final and Brazil winning, but I might want to see a couple more matches from Brazil, or certainly let's say one more to just see exactly what the impact of no Neymar has on them, because I might shift away from Brazil on that side and potentially I guess it then has to be Argentina, but I don't love that.
0: Yeah, I mean there there is a chance Croatia could be in the semifinals again of a major tournament somehow.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, they do they do get quite favorable draws. I mean, Sir England have obviously benefited from those in in consecutive tournaments. And look, there's this miracle world that Poland knock France out, and then all of a sudden England have you know like. If if you could have an England fan's dream come true, this weekend sees England beating Senegal, uh, Poland beating France, Morocco beating Spain, and all of a sudden the path to the final is, <laughs> is right there. It doesn't take a lot, but then, you know, every French supporter or Spanish supporter would be saying, well, if Senegal could just spring a little bit of a surprise against England, then things look a lot nicer for all of us. Uh, so it works both ways. Yeah, I'm a little
0: surprised you're so timid on the England Senegal match. I mean, I, I think this favor is much more favorable than, for instance, England even playing the U.S. a week ago. Um.
1: Yeah, I guess. Look, there's a certain. I'm just. I, I think
0: you're just trying to to to. Dampen your uh, oh, your excitement and expectations.
1: I'm still, pu- I'm still, I'm still putting England in the final, and and I will say I'm more confident about this England team coming out of the group stages than I was coming into the World Cup because I don't see any clear absolute best team. You know, no teams kind of blown my socks off in terms of how they performed. There's no team I've seen where I go, oh, I cannot imagine a scenario in which England beat them. I I haven't even seen a team where I say I think. England have to play their absolute best football in order to beat them. Like there's I'd say there's scenarios where England can have like a B plus performance and beat everyone in this World Cup. Obviously not everyone else playing their best football, but you know what I mean. Like these are not this doesn't come across as the strongest World Cup of all time. That probably is reflected in the upsets in the group stages, but also just the I don't think the very best teams are as dominant as maybe as they have been at other tournaments. So in many respects I'm more confident, but I'm conditioned to expect the worst from the England football team. And over the last two tournaments, they've done a good job of proving that sort of fatalism to be wrong. But (laughs) this is the type of game. Well, at least early on. (laughs) Yes. And then eventually reverting to form. This is the type of game that over my lifetime, I've seen England lose on a number of occasions where we're kind of penciling ourselves in for a big match against France and then, Oh, we're not even there. Like it's France, Senegal next week. And so, you know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but it feels like, you know, this is could be deja vu all over again. So I'm, uh, I'm also just leaving that little bit of, you know, kind of some of the, negative thoughts in my mind just so that when the final whistle blows and I'm watching an England team fall to their knees after a disappointing performance I'm not too stunned by it
0: hey that might be some people's fantasies
1: I think it's a lot of people's fantasies. I think every Welsh supporter out there, every Scottish supporter out there, I, I know you're going down a different path. I'm not willing to engage in that particular discussion. But obviously there's... <laughs> well, you kind of did. <laughs> no, there's obviously a lot of people in the world who look forward to England's failure with great anticipation. And which I would like to say, if I'm a Wales supporter, my final thoughts a little bit, I guess, on the group stages in the World Cup so far, I would be so disappointed in the performances that Wales put in. Particularly in that the lack of attacking initiative they showed against England kind of don't really know what they were playing for. And yes, there was a scenario where the USA and Iran drew, and then Wales were able to get through with a 1 0 victory. And you could say, well, take it to the death, hope that results are going your way, and you sneak a goal. But I think they should have, you try and ride out maybe the initial 15, 20 minutes, and then you need to show some kind of attacking threat and they showed absolutely nothing and then just capitulated as that match wore on. And I also think Gareth Bale ultimately has hurt his legacy a little bit with such a poor world cup. You know, it's Gareth Bale is going to be a very difficult player to explain to future generations. Like, you know, it's going to be this, this guy who spent long periods of time, he started his career out as a poor left back at Southampton, who just sometimes scored pecta- spectacular goals. Then he briefly turned into he then went to Spurs and went through some incredible run where I can't remember how many matches it was where Spurs never won while he made while he played. Then somehow transformed from a bad left back into maybe the best attacking player in the world for a moment in time. Went to Real Madrid at a moment where that all went well, scored some incredible goals, including one of the greatest Champions League final goals of all time, then fell completely out of favor, never played again, was then sort of kept performing for Wales in some big moments, then goes to a World Cup and, like, honestly, was anonymous. Scored a penalty, but I'm not going to give him, you know, doesn't get plaudits for converting a penalty, right? And, yeah, I think... I genuinely think I could have been on that pitch, and I do not mean this as a compliment to myself. I could have been on that pitch, and you would have not noticed a significant difference between my performance and Gareth Bales.
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: I just need, and again, that is not in any way talking myself up. That is just in pure criticism of how absolutely awful he was. And the fact that he was subbed off at halftime with Wales desperately needing something. It's testament to that fact, I think.
0: All right. Well, with that, I think that kind of ends our World Cup. For now, yeah. Reaction. Anything else in the world of sports you'd like to touch on?
1: Um, Not too much in the world of sport, I guess. Uh, obviously, rumors are circulating that we could see a return of Tom Brady to the Patriots. That's going kind of going through the rumor mill. We'll have to see how that plays out. But. Overall, the world of sports for me, I, I don't know if you also saw Tyson Fury claimed that he wanted to go back to an old school approach to heavyweight boxing and wants to have between 25, 15 and 20 fights in 2023. Uh, in which, wow. in which case we've always debated, you know, what do you get in the ring with Tyson Fury? I think we got a chance of getting in the ring with Tyson Fury if he's going to have 20 <laughs> fights next year, because he's going to run out of people to fight pretty quickly.
0: Wow. That is uh, when in in an age of athlete, uh, you know, not wanting to, uh, I don't know, a nice way to put this, but he's literally going to get his fucking head knocked off.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, when with when all the data shows that you know the, the recovery time necessary, and it's also one of those things people always credit for, like, oh, the big difference between like boxing and the NFL or rugby. Is that whereas an NFL or rugby player has to do it every week, a boxer yeah. gets to do it and then d- maybe doesn't do it again for sort of like five months. And Tyson Fury said, "Let me take the NFL approach. Let me do it week in, <laughs> <laughs> let me do it week in week out. If those guys can do it, I can do it too." And um, I, I guess it depends who he's fighting. Like I mean, that's
0: every other week.
1: Yeah, maybe he's just going to fight YouTubers, and you know, like. Who knows what he's got in mind when he says 15. He's going to
0: gonna fight the Paul brothers every other week. Yeah. Both of them at
1: once. It's going to be like a TV series. Just
0: <laughs> Tyson's brain versus the Paul brothers.
1: <laughs> yeah. Which fails first. But
0: yeah.
1: No. Uh, yeah. It's uh, apart from that, nothing really caught my eye over the last last few days.
0: You know, we, we usually talk about movies and television as well.
1: In the world it's, of non-sport, uh, I have a story. That has me furious.
0: Has you furious? Yes. So I... Wait, wait. Is it... Are you furious because you're Eddie? Or or are other people actually furious as well?
1: uh, So I'm definitely furious because I'm me. At the same time, I think this will make other people furious, I would say. But the EU has approved... The fact that they will get rid of the requirement for phones to be on airplane mode on flights so that they can they can no longer will have to be enforced. So you can use your phone as you wish. I think the, the goal is yeah. within that. I've
0: been doing that for decades.
1: So you say that. I think most people have kind of given up the idea of paying attention to it in terms of using the phone to. After
0: the Mythbusters episode, I I stopped putting my phone on airplane mode.
1: So, yeah. Thanks,
0: Mythbusters.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That seems so smart. But I don't mind the idea of someone, you know, sending emails or text messages or browsing the internet. But this is saying that you'll be able to do absolutely whatever you want with your phone you will be able to make phone calls
0: the, if you have service
1: yeah but there there's a very strong likelihood that you will be for example flying over continental europe you should have service the entire time so the idea of being on a plane with someone on the phone and i know there were the old days where people used to make those ridiculously expensive like you had the phone and you, you know you but that was like I can tolerate you being annoying if I know you're paying $150 a minute to make that phone call. You know what I mean? Like it's either you're a moron or this is important either way. Uh, I just
0: watched a really good Seinfeld episode where (laughs) George is hanging out with three executives from the Houston Astros and they call him on the plane and they're like really drunk. He's like, you tell those sons of bitches, no New York Yankee is ever going to Houston. (laughs) such a good
1: episode well again
0: (laughs) but yes you're right that's okay because like they were probably paying 20 dollars a minute oh
1: probably more yell at george costanza (laughs) and and yes you can tolerate that but if you imagine a plane packed full of them i mean i regularly bring up my issues with travel and people's poor behavior and lack of respect for everyone else they are who's traveling with them and just the general sense of entitlement right the idea of people just having their like AirPods in on a flight and just screaming into their AirPods as you're flying along. That seems I I might murder someone on an airplane. I cannot rule out this possibility.
0: I'd love to see that. And you know what? Knowing you with the negative aura you have around you, you will attract (laughs) people who just call like (laughs) the entire conversation. It's like when you get in an Uber and there are times where I've taken like 45 minute Ubers and people have been on the phone with someone else. And half the time they're not even talking, yeah. which is even weirder. No, I don't understand that.
1: No, the Uber drivers who are just on like, it's like a walk on a call. It's like a walk and you
0: look and it says like four hours, 30 minutes on call. And you're like, what the hell is going on? It's here? like
1: little kid best friends who just like bought each other walkie talkies. You know what I mean? And they're just like lying in their beds at night, but just like, Hey Frank, you still awake? Yeah, I am. Oh, cool. Yeah.
0: Speaking of which, I can't get every reception on the walkie talkie you gave me. What's going on here? <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> it's a few thousand miles separates us. I'm not sure they've even, they've got technology that that's, that's good enough yet, but one day. But yeah, no, I do find that bizarre. And again, also like really annoying. It is annoying to get into an Uber where your driver is on the phone. I don't have phone calls as a passenger unless it is an absolute emergency or maybe someone calls you and you're on your way to meet them. And you just give them the like, yeah, I'll be there in five minutes, kind of thing. But that is super, super rare. I would normally just ignore their phone call, text them, I'm in the Uber, I'll be there at X time. So if I as a passenger, yeah, but for
0: every nice passenger like you, they have they have passengers like Tim, who God knows what he's doing in the back of Uber.
1: <laughs> is it <this> okay <laughs> if I stick a dead body in the back? <laughs> it's just what's your policy on blood stains <laughs> if they're not my blood? Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, it's true. Like I get it. And look, it's, I'm sure, you know, when you're driving around in the middle of the night, it gets boring. And if, if you told me that that's the difference between him falling asleep mid Uber ride versus being attentive and awake and not driving into the side of, you know, like the side of the road, I'll take that, I guess. But I'd prefer no phone call. I don't think that's a lot to ask for from someone.
0: I thought you are going to say the EU i also saw is either pushing for or have already i'm not sure uh regulations to prevent companies from having multiple different l- plugs to charge phones i thought that's where you were going no. because apple loves to just make a new a new charger yeah adapter plug scenario and that they were going to put an end to that and make everything, I think, USB C, I think was the, the choice, um, which could be a good thing. Uh, but then I don't understand how that works once a better technology comes out. You just never want to switch anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. I mean, I guess how, far, how fast do we really need our phones to charge? It's one question you could ask yourself. Like, oh, I would love yeah. like
0: five minutes. It'd be perfect. Because I mean,
1: my phone now, we're through USB C. I don't know directly like into a wall charges in fifteen minutes, twenty minutes.
0: I think mine's a little slower. I'll tell you what, the, the Whoop is a slow charging system. Whoever someone needs to work on the, the updating the Whoop charging system. If CEO of Whoop, if you're listening, <laughs> is this, I'm calling you out. Is this
1: is how we get our <laughs> Whoop sponsorship. A company that is yeah. very regularly sponsors podcasts. We're just gonna give them criticism.
0: Great Great system. I love all the data I get. I hate having to have that thing charged for like
1: six hours to charge it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess they'd say you just charge it overnight. You, But then I, they want you to get your sleep data and stuff too, don't they? Through Whoop. Yeah. Like that. So.
0: Yeah. You just, it's, it's a little piece that goes on top. It, it, you don't have to have, have to it plugged it in. You can charge the piece and then put the piece on. But still, you have this like extra bulky piece on your Whoop. Whatever.
1: Another complaint for another day. Yeah. And someone else's problem to solve. But no, that's, that's, my, uh, that's my rant for the day. I don't think anything else particularly upset me over the course of this week, which is always good news. All right. Well,
0: I don't have much. A pretty quiet week, just gearing up towards the holiday season here. Trying to do like two to three weeks of being somewhat healthy. Because I know once about December 18th hits, it just all goes downhill from there. Um, so it's kind of this internal fight I have with myself where part of me wants to already just start like getting in that holiday mode where it's like, hey, what are you doing tomorrow after work? Why don't we get some drinks, celebrate the holidays? But it still seems a little too early.
1: Yeah. I mean, here, the lights are all out and Paris looks really nice over the holiday period right they do a very good job on the streets it, still the weather hasn't been it doesn't make you feel as if this is the first week of December it's starting to get cold now but still that's my this is my weekly weather update but and I mean for you that must be the particular that's the downside of living in a desert right like it gives you the holiday spirit must be slightly dampened by the fact that you look out and see a cactus
0: yeah i I mean the snow is the big one it, it where we live in Tucson it gets cold at night i mean it gets down to the f- the
1: 40s at night yeah cold at night what's it during the day
0: uh like 60 yeah. 70 60 to 70
1: i don't associate 70 degrees with christmas i do now well yeah I fucking love it <laughs> But then I I also think I was spoiled slightly in that respect, like you know, living for a sizable chunk of my childhood in Salt Lake City. I think yeah, that really put you in the like Christmas spirit because we would have several feet of snow every Christmas. It looked like the sort of ideal, you know, like postcard or painting of yeah, like, lifetime movie yeah, of like what does Christmas look like? It's like this is what it looks like. So there's snow everywhere. there's, uh, you know, it was perfect, and now I, I never get that anymore, so that is slightly disappointing. Doesn't disappoint me.
0: I would trade all the snow in the world to be able to just go to an outdoor patio in the middle of December and have some beers hang out, <laughs> go on a hike
1: i don't totally disagree with you but maybe for like the four days around christmas itself i do you know what i mean like if i could somehow you could have some weird microclimate where just december 22nd to <laughs> december 28th it suddenly transformed into a winter wonderland i think i'd be in favor of that but you know december 15th i don't need snow on the ground
0: yeah well i mean arizona is home to the biosphere too so Maybe I can ask them to make a microclimate.
1: Do people still live in that?
0: No, it's now a research facility. Yeah, okay. The I- University of Arizona half owns it.
1: Okay, because I watched a documentary once about the people who like went and lived yes. in it. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And just started banging each other, and then left in like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> <Much> scientific- <laughs> they lasted like four days. <laughs> Much scientific progress was made. Oh, you know what we figured out? We, fi- we figured out if you lock some people in a house for a while, eventually they will have sex with each other. This is what we've determined.
0: <laughs> well, what's even better is it's, you determine if you lock them in somewhere and tell them they have six months or like a very long time in there, they just instantly start having orgies. <laughs>
1: I mean, I guess you could say that was, that's a good glimpse into what the end of humanity will look like. <laughs> we really uh, need to... F- what,
0: what a failed experiment. It's, it's really fun, though, because you can actually take the tour of the, the Biosphere 2, and will they have two tours. They have the one tour that's this is everything here, and this is what we've done, and we have this climate and that climate. And then tour two is you've seen the movies or read the books about the experiment, Here's how bad it was and here's what really happened. and it's just like from the second day they're like smuggling stuff in. They last like 48 hours and people are like,
1: I need a Milky Way. I mean, what it really shows you right is like you're a huge Matt Damon fan. basically the Martian you stick one other person up there with him and it's just sex until <laughs> it's just sex until he dies. he never grows potatoes. Like, that just, like, never happens.
0: It's a horticulturist pornhub fantasy.
1: (laughs) He just No, he just never even develops that. He just goes, "Uh, I can probably survive for the next five weeks with my current supplies. We'll just have sex for five weeks, and then we'll just die. That's okay.
0: (laughs) Just call it. (laughs) Just call it.
1: That's all right. I can can survive this. Oh, wait, it's just me? Oh, I better find a way to grow potatoes on Mars.
0: Let's science this shit up. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. All right. Well, I guess, well, with that Matt Damon reference, we'll call it a day.
1: All right. See ya.
0: Cheerio.